And so uh, let's go before God and ask Him to bless our time. We've got a lot to cover and a lot to talk about. Oh, Lord. This book tonight, Lord, that yes, you penned, that you desired to be in your word, is, uh, Lord, something I've never taught before. A place I've never gone. And so I ask that you'd give a, a supernatural wisdom and that your grace would fall upon this place and that we would recognize great things tonight. Your love and your mercy would open our eyes to see blessings upon blessings. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm actually going to read from the New Living Translation tonight. I actually printed it out because the King James is so thick and so poetic. That's the cool thing about the King James. But in the passages and in the uh, the books that are actually poetic, it is super thick and almost so much where as I was reading it, I'm thinking to myself, like, this doesn't even sound like anything I can begin to decipher. This isn't a book that I would, well that I personally, right now in my life, would be able to break down and do verse by verse and understand exactly what's going on there. Um, Believe it or not, this is a book that some of the Puritans and the old-timers, Charles Spurgeon, one of his favorite books, um, D.L. Moody, one of his favorite books in the Bible, they would teach something like 105 messages, 88 messages in this book alone. Uh, That's over a year's worth or two years worth of messages if you were teaching one week at a time. And so there is so much in here that I'm going to miss and not be able to talk about because I don't think I'm educated on um, the book enough. Um, The book, as we'll see, I want to read some background on it, but uh, this book, there's so many different angles and so many different ways to look at it. Uh a spiritual aspect to it. There's uh, analogies and pictures and um, types, um, different types of spiritual concepts that you can really pull from, that you can play on, that you can uh, extract from. I mean, there's just so much in this book, and you'll see as we read it, the interpretation can be very vague. It can be difficult to understand exactly what it's saying and what it's pointing at as far as spiritually. The text is a text. I mean, you can't run from what it's saying. It says it clearly. And so I'm going to be safe tonight. And um, I'm going to read a lot here. And, and to help you guys have just a little bit of background, I'll talk about it. Um, but as far as from from the right side, my right and your left, from the right side of the spectrum, completely spiritual. The whole thing is a spiritual picture of God and Israel or God and the church. To as far left as we can get, as far loose as we can get, to the book being a completely erotic, sexual book and a demonstration of that. It is the two polar opposites that you can pull from this book and which people do all the time. Pastors choose their course and what they think it is and they go that route. And so um, I'm going to kind of stay somewhere in the middle and where I think that is, I'm not sure still. Um, but the way that I'm going to be safe is just say what the text is saying and talk about it. Um, it's really easy to do that. You know, that's the sweet thing about teaching the Word of God. You you just say what it says, right? A piece of cake. I really like the path that Chuck Smith took, and that's the same that I will take 
um, tonight. A little background on it, though. The title, the title is in Hebrew reads Solomon's Song of Songs. The Latin word Canticles. The construction of Song of Songs indicated indicates that this is the greatest and highest song of all songs for Solomon. Solomon is saying, and you'll see it here in the first chapter, in the first verse, he says, this is the greatest song I have ever written. And Solomon wrote a lot of songs, believe it or not. The canon. The placement of the book in the canon of Scripture has been questioned by some of the, the basis that the Word of God is not found... I'm sorry, the word God is not found in the book and in the New Test and the New Testament does not quote from it. So a lot of people, a lot of scholars argue about this book because number one, the word God isn't even in the book. Interesting. Number two, no one in the New Testament quotes from Song Song of Solomon. So a lot of scholars go back and forth. Um, the Jewish debate was resolved by the famous declaration of Rabbi Akvia, where we, he basically said this book is the Holy of Holies. It, is, it was highly regarded as the Holy of Holies. This book is the pinnacle. This is the one. Because this rabbi said it, the Jews put down and stopped arguing about it. Um, the content, listen to this. This book is an oriental love song between King Solomon and this Shulamite woman. Song of Solomon 6.13, being a Shulamite, meant that she was probably from the city of Shunam, a village near the plain of Megiddo to the north of Jezreel. And this is the north part of Israel. So it's Solomon and this Shulamite woman talking, going back and forth, okay? The Shulamite woman was a peasant girl whose family was responsible for the care of King Solomon's vineyard. Due to the death of her family, she was responsible for the... I'm sorry, due to the death of her father, she was responsible for the bulk of the work, seeing how she was the oldest daughter. Okay? You follow me on that? She was a peasant girl who worked in the garden of King Solomon. And her father died, and she was the oldest girl. And so she ends up taking on a lot of the work. While tending the flocks, a handsome shepherd came by and had pity on her condition. Their friendship developed into affection and then blossomed into love. He promised to return one day and make her his bride. He was gone a long time, causing her to dream often of him. Then he finally returns and makes her his bride. It's this love story. It really is. And it's a song that Solomon has written. It is a song all the way through. I don't know how to sing it, but it's a song. Interpretation, students of the Song of Solomon differ widely on the interpretation of the book. Um, Allegory, both Jews and Christians have put forth the idea that the book is an allegory about God's love for Israel or the church. In the Christian church, this was first held by this guy Origen, um, A.D. 185-254. According to this interpretation, the events which are described never actually took place, but are a picture of God's love for Israel, of Christ dealing with the church. That's one interpretation. But, here's the contradiction. The book does have strong historical reference to 15 or more geographical locations in it. 
the book actually references the geographical locations. So to say that it's completely spiritual and it's just this story that's made up that isn't real would be absurd. There's got to be some kind of truth to this thing and reality to it. Um, while the book certainly points to Christ in the church, this is no justification for denying its historic, uh, historical, uh, I'm sorry, historicity, that's what it is, and treating it simply as an allegory. Okay, listen to the drama. We're almost done here with the, uh, the background of the foundation. I just want you to get a picture of it so that you can see what we're looking at as we start to dive in, all right? The naturalistic school of interpretation handles the book as a simple poem of human love with no typical or uh, figurative reference to the church whatsoever. The emphasis, according to this interpretation, is on the purity and the beauty of love expressed within the context of marriage and that it should not be despised. This view is supported from the frank descriptions of the physical side of love found in the book. Like I said, one extreme... Completely spiritual. The other extreme, completely erotic and uh, very sexual. The, the, the physical side of a marriage. Wisdom literature. Listen to this. To view this book simply as love drama is to miss the connection with the wisdom style of Solomon's day. The major characteristic of wisdom literature is its emphasis on common everyday human experiences. Proverbs speaks of human love in a simple way. The Song of Solomon is a wisdom song which celebrates the beauty and glory of marital love. Okay? It teaches the blessing of purity and faithfulness in the God-given institution of marriage. That's what it teaches. It's a beautiful thing. The purity. The faithfulness. Waiting until you're married, yes, to have sex. Waiting until you're married to even step into that realm. Staying away from fornication and messing around with your boyfriend or girlfriend before you're, before you're married. This is what the book is portraying. It's trying to exalt the way a relationship should look within marriage. It reveals the dignity of sexual love and reinforces that it is God's ordained thing and not evil. The fact that humanity is created in the image of God is central to the worth of, and dignity of sexual love between men and women. But the fact that the Song of Solomon is found in scriptures points to the purpose of wisdom literature. This love must be understood in the large sphere of God's love for us. While the book does not appear to be an allegory or a typology, it cannot help but turn our eye to the love of Christ for His church and His bridegroom for His bride. Okay? So again... Even though we can look on either side of the fence here, spiritual or physical, this book nonetheless points to the love that God can have for us. Now, in saying that, before we start reading, the reason why I've chosen to take the path, specific, the biggest reason why I've chosen to take the path that I am, and not make it look as a relationship between God and and a human, word for word, is because God does not have a romantic relationship with us. Um, Jesus, how do I explain this? The love that we have for Christ is far different from the love that you will have for a 
woman, I mean romantically. It's, you're not going to be intimate with God. God does not come down and have sex with His creation. And we aren't to blend that and make it uh, seem very romantic. There are many songs in this day and age that almost it's almost like a love song to God so much like a guy would sing to a girl and it almost sounds weird. Because men shouldn't be singing to men and singing in a romantic manner. But the love nonetheless that we have for God is very what? Intimate. Absolutely. And the picture of sex is a perfect picture of intimacy, is a perfect picture of God's relationship with the church and with His people. The intimate side of things. Not the romantic, passionate, emotional uh, drive that comes during uh, physical interaction with a man and a woman, that's not the thing that you're supposed to be experiencing with God. No. Um, but the intimacy is definitely a part of it. You understand? So this is we do not have this romantic relationship with God, okay? Um, I hope you... Guys, uh, God is not bringing flowers to you and getting down on one knee and asking you to marry Him. You know, it's like, that's ridiculous. Okay? I am the bride of Christ, Yes. But we, I do not have a romantic relationship with God. He is my king. And he is my master. And I love him with all of my heart. And I would lay down my life for him. But the way that I will now love a woman is the way that Christ loves a church. But I will not engage with other men, nor with my God, in the way that I will engage with a woman. Do you understand? I want to make this clear. Because we do not have a romantic relationship with God. And a lot of our songs and worship these days have really become romantic. It's true. We've kind of drifted off on that. And girls, um, even looking to God as being, um, geez, He is the husband, obviously. He is the one leading. But not romantically. Um, I mean, can you, are you holding hands with Jesus and being romantic with Him and like, you want to kiss Him on the neck, you know, and like, smell His, uh, cologne and like, I mean, no, 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 that's ridiculous, isn't it? So it's not supposed to be like that. You must understand, there has to be a line drawn. And so that's what I'm saying when we start to read into this book. It is not a picture of that. That is where it disconnects. Um, but it is, it definitely shows a picture of the love of God, that's for sure. So it's going to get very descriptive here. So um, I just think we'll just read in. And I'm actually going to, because I don't have much to say on each of these, I'm going to read five chapters tonight. Five chapters. Chapters one through five, okay? I'll be reading in the New Living Translation. As we read this, it's going to be just like reading a story. We're going to see. And I'll stop and we'll talk about some things. But um, you're going to kind of be discovering this just as I am, okay? Because I really believe God's going to give me the information here on the spot of where He wants to guide and lead this study because I'm not sure where it needs to go. Um, I'm just going to say what is being done. Now, as we go through this text, I want you to look at it as this, an opera, okay? As an opera. It's a song. It's a singing, and there are multiple characters in it. There are different groups of people singing, okay? So Solomon is writing out this song, and um, it starts off, you'll see, with this young woman. Okay, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1. Are you ready? Robert, you ready for this? Get ready. Strap on your seatbelt. All right. This is Solomon's song of songs, more wonderful than any other. Do you see that? The top song of all songs in his eyes. 
He says, this is more wonderful than any song I have ever written. Here is the one. If there's a song you ever want to hear, the top 40, the top 100 song, Song of Solomon. Here it comes. The first one singing here is the young woman. The young woman. And she says in verse 2, Kiss me again and again, for your love is sweeter than wine. How fragrant your cologne, and how pleasing your name. No wonder all the young women love you. Take me with you. Come, let us run. Bring me into your bedroom, O king. Stop there. So this young woman is, is being very graphic and very specific. You'll notice the language is very direct. And another thing we're going to notice is how intense this language is as we dive into this. You see, I was reading some of Chuck Smith's commentary on it. It's classic. He's like, he says that Solomon puts him to shame because... His wife will come to him and say, honey, how do I look? And he's like, you look great. And she's like, thanks. And she's satisfied. But Solomon, I mean, he just goes on and on and on and on and on and on about his girl and how much he just adores and all this. And the same thing with her. I mean, she just bathes him with words and just with such almost foolishness. She is so overtaken. I mean, look what she's saying already. She's going for it. And then all of a sudden the young women of Jerusalem come in on this little part and they're singing and look what they say. How happy we are for Him. We praise His love even more than wine. Even the other women can see that His love that He shows, His wisdom that He gives is absolutely impressive. Young woman, she starts to sing again. There at the end of verse 4. She says, how right that the young women love you. She's saying all the girls adore you. Verse 5. I am dark and beautiful, O women of Jerusalem, tanned as the dark tents of Kedar. Yes, even as the tents of Solomon. So she was a dark girl. She was tanned. Uh, she's been staying out in the sun quite a bit. You'll see why. Check it out. Because she, she starts to say, she starts to sing, Don't look down on me, you fair city girls, just because my c- complexion is so dark. The sun has burned my skin. My brothers were angry with me and sent me out to tend the vineyards in the hot sun. Now see what it has done to me. So she was kind of like a Cinderella girl. Remember, uh, her father is dead, and so she has to work because she's the oldest. Her brothers sent her out into the field to work all the time, and her skin became very dark because of it. So she's a dark-skinned girl. And she's beautiful. She's very fair. Um, It says here in verse 7, Tell me, O love, where are you leading your flock today? Speaking about Solomon. Where will you rest your sheep at noon? For why should I wander like a prostitute among the flocks of your companions? And then all of a sudden, the young man, here he comes to speak. Look at what it says. If you don't know, a most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock to the shepherd's tent, and there feed your young goats. What a lovely filly you are, my beloved. How lovely are your cheeks, with your earrings setting them on a fire. How stately is your neck, Ascended with a long string of jewels. We will make earrings of gold for you and beads of silver. The young woman says, The king is lying on his couch, enchanted by the fragrance of my perfume. My love is like a sacket of myrrh lying between my breasts. He is like a bouquet of flowers in the Garden of Eden. And the young man says, How beautiful you are, my beloved. How beautiful. Your eyes are soft like doves. Interesting. You see this? 
They're just going back and forth. They're just going off. I mean, the, these descriptive words. I've never heard anything like it, you know? Not in our day and age. I mean, it's really like, it's hilarious how guys ask girls out these days and how they engage. It's like, hey, uh, uh, wanna eat? <laughs> you know? And the girl looks at him and says, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's it, you know? It's just hilarious. I mean, we need to take a lesson here. We need to, we need to get this figured out. Um, and woman comes back and says, what a lovely, pleasant sight you are, my love, as we lie here on the grass, shaded by cedar trees and spreading firs. Chapter 2. Young woman says, I am the Rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. Young man says, yes, compared to other women, my beloved is like a lily among thorns. Wow. What a compliment, huh? You know, I love watching. One of the guys that I watch closely all the time is Peter John. Peter John Corson, um, who's John Corson's son. John Corson is my shepherd, a man that I sat under for a while. And his son, I love to watch him. He has a blog, and I go on his blog often, and I just watch the things that he says and how he acts. And every time his wife, every time he puts a picture up of his wife, he puts, check out my girlfriend. All the time. It's hilarious. And uh, he speaks just, I mean, so highly. I mean, I mean, she, he pampers and 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 brings her to the top, the highest place he could possibly exalt her to, day in and day out. I love watching him love his wife, just watching him write things about her and be so indulged in her and into her world. Even though they have four kids, you know, they've been married for a while. And um, they're working on their family. I, I just, I love that. He put the, check out my girlfriend all the time, you know. And uh, and one of the guys, uh, one of the, somebody on the blog wrote right under, after he said, check out my girlfriend, they wrote, man, she's way too good for you, you know. And then, uh, and then Peter John wrote back, player hater. <laughs> Hilarious, huh? <laughs> I was just like, man, this is awesome, you know. And uh, and he really is. He's all about uh, his family and all about loving his wife. And and I love and and this reminds me of Peter John. Look what the man says about the woman. Yes, compared to other women, my beloved is like a lily among thorns. Think. Let's think about a field of thorns. Just a field of thorns. Try to walk through it. Okay, that's just treacherous. Okay, try to walk through it with sandals on and like shorts. You know, just a field of bush thorns all over the place. Okay. And check this out. There is one lily standing up far above all the rest. It's beautiful. Think about a field of thorns, how dead it would look and how ridiculous it would look. Like that, this is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. But there is one. Look at that. Look at that one out there. That lily, it's just perfect. It almost completes everything because it is so beautiful. It stands out far above everything else. And this is the way Solomon sees his girl. She is a lily among thorns in my eyes. She is the greatest. There's none like her. And that is the love. That is the love. That is the love a man should be having for a woman in this day and age. And it is the saddest thing, the way it is operating in this day. I mean, I love watching Peter John as well almost put down all of the women in the world compared to his wife. Hey, not to put down women because he wants to bash them. It ain't about that. It's about what? Exalting his woman. It's about lifting her up. It's about blessing her. 
And Christ has done that for us, has He not? Has He not found us one amongst thorns? And says, I'll take that one. That is mine. That is mine. I exalt that one above all. That is my son. That is my daughter. That is my lily. And it is true. That is the way Christ has looked upon us and chased after us. Compared to others, there is none like my beloved. Look at verse 3. Young woman says, And compared to other youths, my lover is like the finest apple tree in the orchard. I am seated in his delightful shade, and his fruit is delicious to eat. Did you hear that? Compared to others, I love the analogy. The finest apple in the tree. Orchard. It's like, go find, go, go into an apple tree orchard and go and try to find the finest apple. That is my man, she's saying. Finest apple. He brings me to the banquet hall so everyone can see how much he loves me. Wow. You hear that? He brings me to the banquet hall to show everyone how much he loves me. Girls, that's the way it should be. All the time. For the rest of your life. See, these kind of things make guys sink down in their chair. Because we feel like fools. Our society does nothing close to this to exalt women. No. How does society exalt women? They put stickers on the back of cars and say that's good. Isn't that sad? That's sad. That's as good as it gets, ladies, within the world. You want to be accepted? You want to be looked upon as awesome? Go be a sticker on the back of a truck. You look that way and act that way and you will get to that level. And that's as good as it gets. But hey, you chase after a man who loves God with all of his heart. You settle for nothing less than a man that loves God with all of his heart. And he will bring you to the banquet and he will show all of the girls and everyone how much he loves you. That is a man who fears God. It's really sad what our society has come to. And we've got to change that, brothers. No, we need to stand up, Justin. We've got to, man. We've got to change that. I would love to see a generation completely shame the world in the way that we live. Me and the guys always talk about it. We dream about it. Being so radical that people will be blown away and look on and it's like, what? And look at who we are and what we represent and what we walk for, what we stand for, and the way that we exalt women, the way that we bless them with our lives, and the way we minister to our family, the way we lay down our lives. People in our workplace are blown away. Why other guys are saying, man, I can't wait to get away from the house, get to be some nice quiet time. I have to listen to my wife, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other guy looks at her and says, huh? I love being with my wife, man. I can't wait to get home. Yeah, that's because you've only been married a year. Nope, been married 30 years. Can't wait to get home. Spend time with my wife. Praise God, you know. I love the way John Corson talks about his wife still. Calls her his bride. My bride Tambo, that's what he says. And his face glows. It just lights up like never before. What great example set for us, set for us men. He brings me to the banquet so everyone can see how much he loves me. 
O feed me with your love, raisins and your apples, for I am utterly lovesick, she says. I am lovesick. Ever been lovesick? Verse 6, His left hand is under my head and His right hand embraces me. Promise me, O woman of Jerusalem, by the swift gazelles and the deer of the wild, not to awaken love until the time is right. Yes. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem. She's saying to her friends, Promise me, girls. I could see her teaching a little Bible study. Promise me not to awaken love until the time is right. Ladies, let it be a warning to you. Brothers, you too. But ladies more specifically, do not give in to a guy until he is the one. Until he has lived the life. Until he has set the example. You see the faithfulness. You see his pursuit of God. But I want a boyfriend now. Okay. Then you lose. If you will not be patient, then you will not have what you desire. You will awaken love too early. And those of you who have been in relationships, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I can testify of that. Stepping into something, giving someone my heart when I was not for certain. This is danger. Why are you messing around with fire? And that is why in my life, I've had to make a declaration more than ever before in my life because I basically backed myself into a corner and dug a huge hole and lost a lot and messed up a lot. And so now it's been, forget it, This has got to be a supernatural deal in my life. Literally, where God brings a halo over some girl. Bam, that's it. There's the halo. Praise God. I'm running. I cannot fail in this department anymore within my life. And I'm trying to warn you, ladies, and I'm trying to warn you guys, do not give yourself away. Don't do it. Don't awaken love until it's time. Because if you do, you're going to be bummed if it doesn't work. You understand? It's a dangerous thing. That's why I try to tell people, I try to warn young people because we work with them so much. College kids, all the time, man. They just so desire to be in a relationship. and They so want to do this. So it's just like, okay, look, look. If you desire that, then just be patient and seek God and you'll bring it in due time. Yeah, but it's so hard to be patient. I know. But listen, if you jump the gun, you're going to regret it. You're going to be bombed. It is much better for you to wait, is it not, and and suffer for a little bit and receive the greatest thing for your life than to jump the gun ten times and give yourself away and find yourself thinking, gosh, I can't believe how much I've done already. And I've awakened love like ten times and I don't want to awaken love, gosh. and, And now I have to be broken and brought to this place. You understand? Don't awaken love until the time is right. Till God says that's the one. Can I give can I give three quick things just so that you can understand when you know? Number one, how do you know it's one? Number one, spiritually, they will be on point. What does that mean? They will be on the same level as you as a Christian. Same level as you. Okay? Listen, this is important. Very important. Because what happens is a lot of people say, well, yeah, they're, you know, they're Christian, you know, like they, they come to church and stuff like that. Wait a minute. Um, 
if if you get into a relationship with someone and you find yourself having to drag them to church all the time or get them to go or get them to read the word or get them to do whatever, bummer. That's sad. And even more than that, you want to make sure that you're like-minded spiritually as well. Like-minded. What does that mean? That means that your your minds are in the same direction. Like let's let's just it's a sad thing, but let's look at denominations. What if someone is completely like, you know, like Baptist, right, in their way of thinking, like no dancing. That's how strict Baptists are, right? And then someone's like in the Pentecostal church, right? And they're like dancing all over the place, swinging from chandeliers, just going nuts. Okay? It's like, now let's try to put, let's try, now, now whose church are we going to go to when we get married and we have kids? Whose church, huh? What way of thinking are you going to raise your, I mean, come on. There needs to be, you understand how, how, how important it is that you align yourself. Don't mess around that department. That's just, that's the first, I mean, crucial thing. It's a sad thing even when someone is has just given their life to Christ, become a Christian, and then what? It's like, oh, oh you know, a guy who's been walking with the Lord for a while, sees a brand new believer, and it's just like, oh, oh, she's really pretty and all this stuff, and then what? Engages with her. It, big, big mistake. Big mistake. Hello. You need to allow them to walk with God for like a year, you know? You need to let them get ground in their walk and start understanding spiritual things. That's a sad thing. And it's also sad when a girl is very dedicated to church and walking with God, and then she comes because the guy says he'll go to church with her three times, and it's like, oh, I like him. Wait a minute. I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, that's cool. He's a cool guy, and he's cute or whatever. But listen, what about what about your like four, five, six, seven, eight months into the relationship, a year into the relationship, and now because he's not doesn't have a spiritual foundation, you're begging him to come to church, and you're wishing that he was a spiritual leader that you wish he would be. You wish he would teach you the Word of God. You wonder about when he's going to raise your kids one day, the way he's going to treat them, what's going to happen, just because you saw that he was going to church a couple times. Careful! Spiritually, that's just one thing that you have to get ready and get get right. That's number one, okay? Number two, very it's not very important. This is kind of a, a more minor thing. I should actually mention that, number one. but uh, And spiritual, number two. But uh, the physical. Physical needs to be lined up. You need to be attracted to someone, okay? It's like the saddest thing in the Christian church when people say, well, it, I really like their personality. Uh, I'm not really attracted to them, but I like their personality. And so we're going to... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What happens when you are married and it's like you are to engage physically and it's like, oh, I'm not really attracted to them. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Corinthians says your body is not your own anymore. You give it to the person. I mean, you give it to one another. It's, well, uh, it is important that you're attracted I hope that you're looking at your man and saying, man, I got the bomb, man. And the girls look, I mean, guys look at the girl and just like, man, that's my babe over there. Right there, you see that one? That's my, yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. Not like, oh, well, who are you with? It's like, oh, uh, I'm with uh, that guy. He's got a really good personality. That's sad. That's sad for him too, isn't it? Don't, don't cheat him. Don't cut yourself short. Don't settle. Don't do that. God has someone for you. Okay? So no more, I mean, physical needs to line up. That's important. Okay, God hasn't given you eyes for no reason. Alright? It's important that you're physically engaged and attracted to a person. Spiritually, you gotta be, you gotta be focused. You need to be on that level. Make sure that you're on the same level spiritually. Unequally yoked can mean dating a new believer who is, you've, that have been walking with a believer for a long time. You're not on the same level. Okay? An unequally yoke could be two different denominations. You're in danger. It's going gonna, it's gonna to mess you up unless you get things settled real fast. 
And number three, I think the biggest thing, the most important thing, this is big, is the soul must line up. The soul. This is the personality. This is who you are. Okay? And there's two parts to it. Two parts to this thing of the soul. I think it's who you are, number one, and what you like to do. Okay? I love to go to the beach. I love to surf. Um, I love the sun. And uh, what if I mean you end up get with a, if I end up getting with someone who uh, man just wants to stay inside all day and just loves being inside and that's what they, they do it's inside all day, I would go crazy. I'd drive myself mad. I mean, you have a person. Let's just say you have a person who loves the outdoors, loves hiking and going camping, and then you have somebody who wants to do crossword puzzles, you know, all day. It's like that's what they love to do. I'm not putting down crossword puzzles. They're cool. I like to do them too. Okay, but but you know you know you know what I'm saying. It's like how's that going to work? Well, we'll just make it work, you know. We kind of work it out. Well, I'm telling you, this can cause arguments and problems. You need, you need kind of, sort of, like the same things and enjoy doing the same thing. Things line up there. But the most important thing of all is this: is that you can, you connect on a level where you can communicate with them. Communication. You can communicate so well. You you can listen to them and you can communicate back, and your exchange is so incredible. Where they become your best friend on the face of the earth. You talk to them more than you talk to anybody else in the world. Wow. I mean, what happens when you're 60 years old? Uh, there's nothing really to be, I mean, what, is, is that, is, let's just say 70 just so we can put everybody, because there's some pretty good looking 60 year olds these days. Um, there is. <laughs> You guys are think I'm thinking of women. I'm thinking of some guys who are just in incredible shape and all that. Okay, stop. <laughs> Listen, let's just say 70 or 80. I mean, it's like if you're 70, 80 years old and you're sitting there, um, I don't think you're looking over and thinking, man, <sighs> babe. I mean, like, you know, this is the hottest girl on the earth right now. No, no, wait a minute. Why is she the hottest girl on the earth right now? Because... You can still talk and communicate just like you can when you first went on that first date. You're still talking. You're still communicating. You're open with one another. I'm not saying that people in marriages don't go through hard times and sometimes they don't talk and, and, and there's little skirmishes here and there. But what I'm saying is that there's an open line of communication where you can bear your soul. You can be completely honest. Everything just works and just clicks. I'm telling you that both things could line up. Spiritually, everything could be perfect. And physically, you could be so stoked. And even enjoy to do the same things with that kind of person all the time. But you cannot communicate. You can't communicate effectively. If you cannot communicate, you cannot work through problems. You will fight and bicker and you will smash. And personalities will clash so bad. And you will try to get to a point of solving things and you can't. It is crucial. I say all this and I spend a lot of time on this. Because I don't want you to just jump into some relationship because you think they're cute. What are you thinking? You're in a big mistake. You want this kind of relationship talked about here? This. These things are crucial. You've got to physically be lined up. You've got to spiritually be lined up. And your soul, your personality, who you are has got to line up. And they should be your best friend. It's a sad day when people are physically attracted or romantically attracted, but they, but they don't like each other. 
after 10 or 15 years of marriage, they just don't like each other. That should be your best friend. You understand? You got that? Love sick. Don't awaken love until the time is right. Don't do it. Or you'll suffer. Girls, you're going to get your heart broken. Or you're going to break some guy's heart and he's going to get jacked up and become obsessed. You're going to have problems. Don't awaken love until the time is right. Okay? Look at verse 8. Ah, I hear him, my lover. Here he comes. Leaping on the mountains and bouncing over the hills. My lover is like a swift gazelle or a young deer. Look, there he is behind the wall. Now he is looking through the window, gazing into the room. My lover said to me, Rise up, my beloved, fair one, my, my fair one, and come away. For the winter is past and the rain is over and gone. The flowers are springing up and the time of singing birds has come, even the cooing of the turtle doves. The fig trees are budding and the grapevines are in blossom. How delicious they smell. Yes, spring is here. Arise, my beloved, my fair one, and come away. Look what the young man says. My dove is hiding behind some rocks, behind an outcrop of the cleft. Let me see you. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is pleasant and you are lovely. The young woman of Jerusalem. Here they come singing the little chorus here. Quick, catch all the little foxes before they run or ruin the vineyard of your love, for the grapevines are all in blossom. The young woman says, My lover, she sings, My lover is mine, and I am his. He feeds among the lilies. Before the dawn comes and the shadows flee, come back to me, my love. Run like a gazelle or a young stag on the rugged mountains. Look at chapter 3. The young woman sings, One night as I lay in bed, I yearned deeply for my lover, yet he did not come. So I said to myself, I will get up now and roam the city, searching for him in all the streets and squares. But my search was in vain. The watchmen stopped me as they made their roots rounds and said, and I said to them, Have you seen him anywhere? This is the one I love so much. A little while later, I found him and held him. I didn't let him go until I had brought him to my childhood home, into my mother's bedroom where I had been conceived. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the swift gazelles and the deer of the wild, not to awaken love until the time is right. Did you see that? She said it again. I can see her doing this. She is like so excited and so impressed with her man. She is so stoked on what she has found because she has waited, because she's been set apart working and busy there in the garden. All of a sudden, she's found her love, and I can see that she's just so blown away and almost telling her girls, like, please, girls, just wait. Don't awaken love. Just wait. I'm telling you, it is greater than what you can even imagine. Just wait. Don't awaken love until the time is right. Don't awaken love until it... It's like as distracting as a bottle knocking over in your life. It truly is. You know, the sound that it makes? Shattering. It's scary. It's sad. Look at verse 6. Who is this sweeping into the, from the desert like a cloud of smoke along the ground? This is the young woman of Jerusalem. They're singing again as, as a group. Who is that smells of myrrh and frankincense and every other spice? Look, it's Solomon's carriage with 60 of Israel's mightiest men surrounding it. 
They are all skilled swordsmen and experienced warriors. Each one wears a sword on his thigh, ready to defend the king against any attack during the night. King Solomon has built a carriage for himself from wood imported from Lebanon's forests. Its posts are of silver, its canopy is gold, and its seat and its seat is upholstered in purple cloth. Its interior was a gift of love from the young woman of Jerusalem. Did you hear that? These girls, they start to sing this chorus, and they, they, almost, they act as if they can smell the cologne in the air. They can smell that guy coming from like a mile. It's just like, oh, look at there's Solomon. Look at him in his chariot. Look at him in his ride, in his carriage. And look at all the men surrounding. It's like him and his boys, his crew rolling up. And the girls are just like, oh, my gosh. You know, like, look, at, look, there he is. <laughs> you know, they're all happy and, and just admiring and probably thinking like, oh, I wonder if one of Solomon's mighty men are as good as him. And maybe I might be able to meet one of them. Look at verse 11. The young woman starts singing. Go out to look upon Solomon, O young women of Jerusalem. See the crown which his mother crowned him on his, head, on his wedding day, the day of his gladness. And the young man starts to sing in chapter 4, verse 1. Are you there? How beautiful you are, my beloved. How beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are like doves. Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats frisking down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are as white as sheep, newly shorn and washed. They are perfectly matched. Not one is missing. <laughs> that's hilarious, huh? It's like that's probably not the way that, I mean, we would. Look, you look at your girlfriend and you're just like, oh, <laughs> your teeth are as white as sheep wool. You know, <laughs> and, and what else does he say here? Um, they're perfectly matched. Not even one is missing. I mean, it's like the flock of your hair is like goats frisking down slopes of Gilead. You know, it's like, I mean, it's hilarious. <laughs> but I mean, I love the, the the description. You know, the French make fun of uh, American men because they have one way to tell their women they love them. But the French say they have hundreds of ways to tell them. And, uh, and it's true. I mean... The American man is supposed to be this macho brute, you know, he's just like, Ugh, I like women. You want women now, you know, like he's, I mean, he's, he's just a hairy beast, you know, he doesn't have a, a sense of romantic in him, he really doesn't. And so, and that's what our society is breeding once again. Um, maybe not this brute ox, you know, but they're definitely breeding a man who looks down upon women and, 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 uh, either, they look upon a woman who is successful and say, wow, yeah, she's, she's a great woman. But they look upon a woman who takes care of her house and really ministers to her children and raises up a great family and says, oh, she's worthless. You know, I can't believe that a man locked her in the house and made her do that. Um, it's really sad because the rest of the world thinks completely different than that. Um, they actually um, admire and exalt. Isn't it interesting? You look at your grandma. You know the grandma who works really hard? The grandma who works really hard and, and, and makes the big meal and ministers to everybody and takes care of everybody there in the household there around Thanksgiving or whatever holiday it is. And everybody's like, Grandma, sit down. Grandma, sit down. Why don't you eat and all this? She's like, no, and she's working very hard. And everybody, what, exalts her, don't they? They don't look at her and say, geez, what a dumb lady. You know, I can't believe she's doing that. No. They look at, she is higher above any woman. If there's a woman and they're making a million dollars because she's the CEO of some company, the rest of the family doesn't give a rip. They exalt grandma because she is a woman who takes care of her family. 
I'm telling you, as much as the world tells you that if you have an SUV and you wear Nordstrom's jeans and you make money, that you're going to be a girl liked upon amongst the world. Even amongst the world, the world admires their grandma. And the reason they admire their grandma is because she takes care of the family. This is huge. But the way this man describes and the way this man compliments, look at how he compliments. Isn't he so descriptive? I bet you guys... If you wrote anything even half as just cut out the sheep stuff and cut out, you know, like the, the hills of Gilead and the waves of hair. You just write anything near this, okay? Your girl's going to be blown away. All right? Take some hints here. I mean, take, take some notes. It's crucial. Go and highlight this in your Bible. Write something like this to a girlfriend. Write something like this. Okay? It says, your lips are like a ribbon of scarlet. Wow. Oh, how beautiful your mouth. Your cheeks behind your veil are like pomegranate halves lovely and delicious interesting your neck is a uh, stately as a tower of david jeweled with the shields of thousand heroes your breasts are like the twin fawns of a gazelle feeding amongst the lilies before the dawn comes and the shadow flees away i will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense you are so beautiful my beloved so perfect in every part come with me from lebanon my bride come down from the top of the mountain, Amna, from the Mount Senir, from Mount Hermon, where lions have their dens and panthers prowl. You have ravished my heart, my treasure, my bride. Now, what a song. I need these great lyrics. I am overcome by one glance of your eyes, by a single beat of your necklace. Oh, how sweet is your love, my treasure, my bride. How much better is it than wine. Your perfume is more fragrant than the riches of spices. Your lips, my bride, are as sweet as honey. Yes, honey and cream are under your tongue. The scent of your clothing is like that of the mountains and the cedar of Lebanon. You are like a private garden, my treasure, my bride. You are like a spring that no one else can drink from, a fountain of my own. You are like a lovely orchard bearing precious fruit with the rarest of perfumes, nard and saffron, calmness, columus, and cinnamon, myrrh, and aloes perfume from every incense tree and every other lovely spice. You are a garden fountain, a well of living water, a refreshing, as refreshing as the streams from the Lebanon mountains. Wow. What a love letter, huh? Ladies, what if you got that in the mail? It's like dead guy. I mean, I mean... It, just, it really is incredible. For even a guy to look at and admire, it is incredible. I mean, trying to sit down and write your thoughts down on paper is a difficult thing for guys to do, believe it or not. Ladies, um, it's very difficult. Guys, I would encourage you to practice it at home, okay? I don't know what you need to do to figure it out, but we've got to um, get away from thinking that. Chuck Smith made a great point of that. He said, you know what, I'll read it to you from my journal. I wrote it down because this is awesome. When God speaks to me about anything that will help me for the rest of my life, I write it down in my journal, and so I don't forget. And guess what? I didn't forget. I get to read it to you. Chuck said, It is a smart husband who will give his wife, will continue to give his wife that continued assurance that she needs. It is the dumb cluck that tells her once a year that he loves her and thinks that she'll be satisfied. It's true. The smart man will compliment her day and night. But she already knows what I think. She wants to know again. 
And she wants to keep knowing for the rest of her life. Every day, all day, every day for the rest of her life. That is the way the woman is built, guys. And ladies, you must understand that a man isn't built to even express all of the emotion that goes on inside and articulate it correctly. It's very difficult for him. I don't have a mother. My mother died when I was eight. And it's been very difficult for me to have compassion on people and be sympathetic towards people. I think that's why uh, my walk with Christ has been very direct is because I'm hard on myself. It's like I just tell myself, cut the stuff and get moving. Stop messing around. There's no time to waste, Josh. You, no sympathy for you. You get moving in your walk with Christ. No babying. No wiping off your little wounds and putting on your little band-aids. You get moving. You move forward. And so, but it's very difficult, and it has been in relationships with any girl in general for me, whether it be a girlfriend or whether it be a friend. It's always been difficult for me to express emotion and be, um, just be expressive in that way and be considerate. I've had to work on it for years, and Christ and the Bible has really taught me. As I watch how Christ loves the church, I start to develop the understanding of how a man is to treat a woman. But it was very difficult for me. And so um, I can see even with many guys here, if their mother has not taught them how to treat a woman, how could they possibly know? Brothers, there is hope. Study the Word of God. Understand. Study Christ and His love for the church. And you will develop compassion and sympathy in the way that you are supposed to have it. The man who cannot compliment and minister to his woman daily is a fool. Because she will not be happy. And how many thoughts does Christ have towards us? As many as the sand on the seashore, as many as the stars in the sky, they're innumerable. His thoughts towards you are more than... Pick up a handful of sand and try to count how many grains of sand you have in your hand. How many? And God thinks more about you than all of this sand on the shore. You are to love your wife as Christ loves the church. You think one handful of grain of thoughts of sand is enough? No, you're missing it. It's not even close. Brothers, you've got a lot of grains to go. A lot of pieces of sand to go. You start one at a time. And Chuck was saying as well as I was reading his commentary, he'll tell his wife in the morning, love you, wife. Love you, babe. Love you, honey. As he walks out the door and gives her a kiss. Then when he comes back at lunchtime, she says, Honey, do you love me? He says, Yes, of course I do. And then there at dinner time, she comes back and says, Are you in love with me? Yes, I love you. I've been telling you that for 50 years and I still love you today. Just as in love with you as I ever was. You see, it's needed. It's got to happen. And Solomon, that chapter 4 there, is a perfect picture of complimenting, okay? Brothers, I mean, he broke it down systematically. I mean, he went from the hair to the eyes to the lips, I mean, to the body, I mean, everything. He would systematically broke it down and complimented everything he possibly could. And he kept saying over and over, you're my bride, you're my treasure, you're my love. Wow! I'm going to write that down at the end of the night. That's power right there. Guys, that's a little secret. I'm telling you, that's the one right there. That verse, just memorize that one. You're good. You're my love, my treasure, and my bride. You just say that every day for the rest of your life. Good. All right, let's move on to chapter 5, and we are done. 
Chapter 5, verse 1, the young man starts to speak again. He says, I'm sorry, we, we missed one, didn't we? Yeah, sorry about that. No, 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 we are not done. Um, look at, oh, jeez, what did I do? Okay, okay, okay. Here we go, here we go. We're on verse, yes, 16. The young woman starts to sing. Look what she says. Awake, north wind, come south wind, blow on my garden. Waff is lovely for perfume to my lover. Let him come into his garden and eat choicest fruits. And girls, um, I mean, on the surface, there's a lot more going on in there. But the surface there, I mean, it's you notice how Solomon th- talks about perfume and the way that she smells a lot. Hint, hint, that's a really good thing. When a girl walks by and she smells, it's just like, I mean, something happens inside of God. I don't know what you call it. Uh, if you want to call it endorphins, just going off everywhere. It's just like, I mean, those of you who've seen Steve Wilburn do this, I mean, it's it's really classic. He says when a girl walks by, he does this. And uh, and then like you fall over because you're so blown away, you know. And uh, I mean it's just it's just a good thing. I mean it's just a little hint, just a little hint, okay? Just a little. Um, yeah, I think it's a good thing. Verse one of chapter five. Young man says, "I'm here in my garden, my treasure, my bride." He says it again. I gather my myrrh with spices, and eat my honeycomb with my my honey. I drink my my wine with milk. Young woman of Jerusalem, here they go, the chorus. You ready? They sing, O lover and beloved, eat and drink. Yes, drink deeply of this one, this love. And then the young woman says, she sings, One night as I was sleeping, my heart awakened in a dream, and I heard a voice of my lover. He was knocking at my bedroom door. Open to me, my darling, my treasure, my lovely dove. He said, for I have been out in the night, my head is soaked with dew, my hair with the wetness of the night. But I said, I have taken off my robe, should I get dressed again? I have washed my feet, should I get them soiled or dirty? My lover tried to unlatch the door, and my heart thrilled within me. So she's having a dream right here, right? She's dreaming, and her lover comes to the door, and he knocks. He's like, open up, I want to come in. She's like, no, I'm not ready for you. And he's like, no, please let me in. He tries to unlatch the door. Look, she continues on. I jumped up to open it. My hands dripped with perfume. She got ready real quick. My fingers with lovely myrrh as I pulled back the bolt. I opened to my lover, but he was gone. I yearned for even his voice. I searched for him, but I could not find him anywhere. I called to him, but there's no reply. The watchmen found me as they were making their rounds. They struck me and wounded me. The watchmen on the wall tore off my veil. Make this promise to me, O women of Jerusalem. If you find my beloved, tell him that I am sick with love. So it's a dream. But she says there in her dream that all of a sudden she goes to open the door. She heard him and all of a sudden the man is gone. And I could see her just like so excited like she wasn't going to open the door. And she's like, okay. And she gives in. Then she runs over the door to open it and open You know, she got ready real fast. You know, put on the, her, her hands are dripping with perfume, it says. And, and, and she opens the door real fast and... He's gone. So she goes running out into the streets because she was so excited to see him. He's not there to be found. And then she goes to her girls and she says, please, I'm sorry to these men, to these girls. Yeah, The watchman on the wall tore off my clothes. She says, make promise to me, a woman of Jerusalem. She's speaking to her girls. If you find my beloved, tell him that I am sick with love. Sick with love. I like that phrase. Just completely gone. I mean, just like, 
you see it too. You see it. Those couples, you know, as soon as they like, you, they're going to get married, and they're just like, they're so goo goo gaga over each other. It's ridiculous, you know. There's this picture of my buddy Josh Cisco. If you're listening to this, I'm about to clown. Get ready. But my buddy Josh, he's hilarious. You see this picture of my buddy Stephen Thompson sitting over on, on the couch on one side. Then here's Josh, and he's sitting with his girl. They just got engaged, and he's sitting there. And there's a picture of him. She's looking forward like this. Okay, and Josh is just looking there like. I mean, he's so. He, I think he might even be like this. He's like. He's. I mean, it is hilarious. And Stephen is like sitting over there, like with his face down, like this, just like this is ridiculous, you know. Like, but Josh, he, he's just like. This is one of the guys that went to Mexico with me. But he's just so engaged and so goo goo gaga over this girl, just so in love. I really think that's the way it should be. And I think if you can make it possible, if you can work that out, to make it that way for the rest of your entire life, that if you fill your heart one day when you're married, or you fill your heart one day even in a relationship as you're working through it, if you don't feel engaged, that you do whatever it takes to get back to that instantly, you know? That you'd work hard at it. The Bible says that wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So guess what? Wherever you invest your treasure, that's where your heart will follow after. So if I invest my treasure in cars, then I'm going to love cars. My heart will chase cars. If I invest my treasure in drinking coffee all day, I'm going to love coffee all day. Okay? If I invest my treasure in my wife all the time, investing in her, keep investing, keep pouring in, keep trying, keep just going for it, doing whatever it takes to be romantic and just new ideas and, and discovering But something else that I was taught is, men, marriage is a lifetime of discovering your wife. It's a lifetime of just continuing to figure out who she is. It's it's digging deeper and deeper into her soul. But to keep this kind of, this, this, I'm lovesick, I'm sick for love. And the love obviously is completely different from when you first met each other to like 30 years down the road. You're not so goo-goo-gaga, you know, that you, you can't even look at them and you're just embarrassed, you know. You can't make eye contact anymore because you're just like, oh my gosh, he looked at me. You know, it's not, it's not that. But there is something definitely that needs to be this sickness of love about it where you're just so sick from being away and just, just desiring to be close. And if it gets that way, just remember this, if it gets that way in your life, family, young people, please, if it gets that way, I promise you, you'll do whatever it takes to start digging that, just digging it back to where it needs to be. You work very hard. That's what marriage is. It's a, it's 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 a very hard working of sacrifice for one another over and over and over. Let's close this down, huh? The young women of Jerusalem start to sing, "O woman of rare beauty, what is it about your loved one that brings you to tell us this?" My lover is dark, the woman, woman, the young woman starts to sing, my lover is dark and dazzling, better than 10,000 others. Wow. His head is the finest gold, and his hair is wavy and black. His eyes are like doves beside brooks of water. They are set like jewels. His cheeks are like sweetly scented beds of spice. His lips are like perfumed lilies. His breath is like myrrh. Guys? Breath is like myrrh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not anything else. Note, note. Guys, it's good to brush your teeth, okay? It's good to use floss, alright? It's really good. It's healthy. 
It helps. It's going to help. I'm telling you. <laughs> hint, hint. Deodorant is good, brothers. Girls like cologne too. I'm telling you. Let them pick it out. Let them pick out what they like. Don't, yeah. Don't buy brute for men and think you're cool. Okay. That's six ninety nine at Walmart, and that's it's not going to work. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that's terrible. That's terrible. I got to stop that. Father, forgive me. We're teaching the word here. His arms are like the round bars of gold set with crystal light. Wow. Not crystal light like you're thinking about. His body is like bright ivory, aglow with sapphires. His legs are like pillars of marble set in socket of the finest gold, strong as the cedars of Lebanon. None can rival him. His mouth is altogether sweet. He is lovely in every way. Such a woman of Jerusalem is my lover. And what does she say? My friend. My lover and my friend. Notice she speaks about how strong and uh, together that he is. He's a man. And men, if you don't know how to be like men in this day, because maybe your father hasn't taught you, because maybe you don't have a dad, or maybe dad didn't spend time with you, didn't have anybody to look up to, you need to work on becoming a man. A lot of men in this day are sissies, bottom line, okay? It's sad. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way God designed it. The man is to be the protector of the house. And I hope that you would bring protection to your wife and that she would feel comfortable and she'd feel safe in your arms. And if you're not that way, start working on it. Um, yes, I remember a man. Ah, yes. Corson was telling us in the desert, you can be whoever you want to be. Whoever you want to develop to be, you can be that person. He said that there was a guy who was a complete dweeb. Okay, this is documented. This guy was the biggest dork loser you've ever seen in your life. Okay, worse than the movies. Okay, but this guy set his goal on being like Rico Suave. All right, he wanted to be like a Michael Bublé. All right, he wanted to be a Frank Sinatra. All right, he just wanted to be smooth. Okay, just the smoothest guy. So what did he do? He started doing. He started acting and moving and like just imitating everything that these guys did. And it said at first it just wasn't working. You know, obviously it looked weird and awkward. Like, what is this guy even trying to do? He just, I mean, it doesn't even work. But he said year after year he got better and he got better. About took him about five years, five years, and he became exactly who he wanted to be. And he was just that. He turned his life completely around. This picture was stayed, and they said it was an absolute miracle from where this guy took himself to, just because he set his mind to it. Another picture was of a guy who mumbled all the time, and he wanted to be an opera singer. You know, that's a big malfunction, you know, for people who desire to sing so elegantly. And so what he started to do is he put rocks in his mouth, and he figured if he could speak and if he could sing with rocks in his mouth, then he will be able to sing louder than anyone. And he would even be able to shatter glass. And I think that's why it's actually documented is because this guy worked so hard that when he took the rocks out and he started to sing, he worked on it so much that he could actually shatter glass with his voice or crack glass because he became so good at it. Now, why do I say this to you? Because people think, hey, I'm the way that I am. God made me this way and this is who I'm going to be. What, lazy? Um, No, no, no. Actually, that's you being that way and you're not called to be that way. Um. Peter John Corson, John Corson's son, used to walk around like this all the time with his hand. That's just, I don't know why. He would just do that. And John would correct him. John, he would say, Peter John, put your hand down. 
Every time you come, put your hand down. Every time, put your hand down. You're not going to walk like that. Because he cares about his son. He knows that society will make fun of him and it will, it will ruin the inside out because he starts teaching him specific things. His son mumbled all the time when he talked. And so he would work with him. He would sit there and help him to pronounce his words. John did that with us in the desert. He said, brothers, when you speak the word of God, do not mumble over your, the, your words or the people cannot understand what you're saying. And so he would have us read from the scriptures and he would say, enunciate your words very carefully. And so we would exaggerate every word and we would talk like, I am talking right now. And we would do that and we would read the King James Version and we would work on our speaking ability. You can be whatever you want to be. And I'm telling you that why does this woman compliment this man so much? Because of who he is. She loves everything about him. She is blown away by it. She's impressed with his strength and who he is and his whole package. And I'm telling you that for some reason our society has just said, hey, whoever you want to do, people are going to accept you like that, and so it's just cool. Just be whatever you want. You want to be lazy, that's cool. You want to be a loser, that's fine. You know, we'll accept you. You just kind of keep in society. That's not, that is wrong. It's not acceptable. And we need to raise the bar once again with life. Because as soon as everything starts to fall like that, as soon as we let things fall, that's when people start treating people, hey, women, the way they're treated. What happened to men being gentlemen? They're not anymore, are they? Because somebody started saying it's okay to play video games your whole life and get to a point where you don't care about anything else. Or no one has taught you that. And if no one has taught you that, I'm sorry. But let today be the message that turns and changes your mind. I had some, somebody tell me, and I had to start changing, and I still have a lot to do, and I sit down with older men all the time and let them tell me what I need to be doing. Men, we've got to rise to the occasion. Ladies, we've got to. Ladies, this is the standard for your life. Are you ready? Jesus. Jesus should be your man's king, and you should be his queen. Nothing less. That's it. That's the standard. Jesus is his king, and you are his queen. And brothers, that is the way you need to start looking. If you think that girls are bees or hoes or whatever you think that they are, you are big time mistaken. And you need to get far away from that as you can. They are to be the most precious thing that you hold in your entire house. Solomon did that. And it is a great picture for us. Amen? That's great. We have a lot of work to do. And I hope it makes you think a lot about life and what's going on, a lot about the direction that you're headed and the things that you need to work on. We all have things we need to work on. Let's be honest with ourselves. We all have things. So let's work together as a family, minister to one another, pray for one another, encourage, and help each other in the fight. Girls, do not let the girls get away, get taken away by some loser guy. Don't do that. Guys, if you dare, if I catch you, I'm going to drop the bomb on you. I'll put the hurt down. Be careful because I care about you and I want the best for you. And brothers, you hold me accountable as well. Please, I need it. I am not immune to sin. We need to work together on this. Amen? We'll be a generation that changes our society. Father, we thank you for this book.
And we thank you for these five chapters we got to look into and dive into. What rich, what rich flavor and wisdom beaming from this book. We would ask, Lord, that much would be applied tonight and that the great example of Solomon and this woman, the way that they are so madly in love with one another, that, God, we would be able to have, that this wouldn't just be some movie thing that we think about or that Hollywood puts up and tries to portray, but fails big time. But this would be something that every single one of us can cherish deep within our hearts and exchange with someone one day. And those who are in relationships now, I would pray, Father, that you would give them wisdom on how to bless their mate, how to minister to, how to build up, how to serve, how to lay down their life for. And those who are not in relationships, that you would prepare them for all of those things, Father. For the journey is great. It's not easy, but it's definitely worth it. We thank you for the gift of marriage, and we thank you for the gift of relationship and sexual relationships, and emotional relationship, and all of the above. Sacrificial relationship, the spiritual relationship between one another, the communication between one another. We thank you for all of those things. We ask that you would rule and reign in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, a lot tonight. A lot tonight. My first time in Songs of Solomon. And so, uh, hope you enjoyed it. Yes, Robert, yep. Um, Robert's going to share with us a word, and so uh, let's just give our ears to him just for a moment as we close this down. Amen? I've just been really trying to be obedient to God lately, and uh, as Josh was reading the text, uh, he gave me a word, a word for you guys, and um, I think not only should we tell our boyfriend or girlfriend how we feel about them, I think we should be able to tell our friends because I don't think that, um, especially with guys, guys are just like, you know, they know what they what they mean. They know uh, how I feel about them. But a lot of people don't. And I just uh, wanted to exhort you and just tell your friends what they mean, what they mean to you. Tell them, just thank you for being my friend. I have a friend that tells me all the time, just just thank you for being my friend. I think that's important. And also, um, tell God. Tell God what you feel about him. When you're praying, when I I try to pray through a tabernacle, and the first the first thing you do when you pray through a tabernacle is you thank God. You thank God for whatever is on your heart, whatever he did that day, whatever he did the day before. And I think not only is it good for you to thank God because you're telling God how you feel, but it reminds you, it reminds you of all the things he's done that day. And uh, it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget even what he did yesterday. And I think that when you get up in the morning and you're praying, you would just thank God before you even ask for anything. Just thank God. Man, God, just thank you for doing this yesterday. Thank you for doing that yesterday, just so that you can be reminded. And um, that's it. That's just my word. Amen. Amen. And I don't even think I can say it better. I mean, what a powerful word, huh? Jeez. Tell each other you love each other, you know. Give each other a hug. It's important, you know. It really goes a long way, doesn't it? When someone tells you something, like, from the heart, just like, geez, you didn't have to do that. That was really nice. Robert's such a blessing, man. He always is ministering to me. 
and loving on me and letting me know that he cares. And I just, I appreciate that as well. And so I'm telling you, it really goes a long ways with people. Whether or not they receive it or not, whether or not they, they, they may not take it right, they go home later that day and just like, man, that was really nice. You know, that was, thanks. Appreciate that. Um, that's a good thing. That's a great word. And tell Father, man, be honest with him. Bless him. Amen? Gosh. Father, bless them and keep them. May your face shine upon them throughout this week and tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.